0: Psalm 15, verse one, says this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have not told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. We thank God for his word. If you would open your Bibles with me, that would be really, really helpful for both me and for you. Um, John 15 first 17 verses. We looked at this this morning um, in our children's service. Uh, we're going to look at it again tonight. Um, but I wonder, have you ever watched a film about what life is going to be like in the future? Maybe that's a thought you'd rather not have. Uh, but Disney Pixar made a film in 2008, and they gave it their best shot to describe what life in the future might actually look like. The film was called Wall-E. And Wally is a robot left to clean up the mess that is Earth while all human life has been taken into space. And they now live in this massive ship where technology is so advanced that people have no jobs to do. They don't even have to walk. They just hover around in these seats to float. This is how Disney depicts what life is going to be like in 700 years' time. Marty McFly traveled to the year 2015 in the film, Back to the Future, life in 2015 was not as it was depicted. My renal Cleo didn't fly in the sky, sadly. But you see, tonight, we see that it's hard for us to think far into the future. See, we can more easily think 20, 30, maybe even 40 years into the future instead of 700. And we last night, as we're late, we headed down to youth night. Um, at the end of General Assembly, and the question or challenge that we were given was what do you want life to be like in 40 years' time? What kind of person do we want to be? How is it that we want to spend the next 40 years and beyond? What is it that we want to do in this God-given time upon earth? And I guess as leaders, we were challenged by the question, what is it that we want to help produce in young people? to see grow in young people's lives in the next 40 years? The answer, of course, is good fruit that will last. We want to help young people and encourage them to become a disciple of Jesus Christ and to grow and to bear fruit as a disciple and follower of him. That's what we want for their life. But tonight, that's also what we want for our lives. As a congregation tonight, I hope we see the importance of bearing good fruit that will last as we meet together. So as we were this morning, we're looking at John 15, and I hope that we see tonight that there's these two main themes that are throughout this passage. There's this idea of believers remaining in Jesus, and because of that, that we are to be people that bear good fruit that will last. So this is hopefully where we're going tonight as we look through this passage, because as is common, they're interwoven. but I hope that we'll see tonight in this three areas that if we remain in Jesus, the three things will flow from that. It means that we benefit, that we are privileged, and that we have responsibility. So firstly, if we abide in Jesus, then we benefit. Um, and it's important to note from the offset that this passage is not primarily about us. It's about Jesus and what he has achieved for us. You see him describe himself in verse 1 as the true vine, A vine in the Bible is this picture of the source of life and provision. A grapevine, for example, is responsible for the abundance of fruit it produces. And so Jesus calling himself the true vine carries great weight and authority as throughout the Old Testament, the people of Israel are referred to as the vine of God. Psalm 80 verse 8 says, You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. See, the people were meant to be God's vine. They were meant to be the source of life for his people, a means of mission and outreach to the nations that surrounded them and engaged with them, the vine by which the people of God grew and flourished. But as we know, the people of Israel were more interested in their lesser gods and idols of the nations that surrounded them than sharing with them about the one true God Almighty. They were disobedient And they failed to live up to their call as the vine. The first two verses of Hosea 10 states, Israel was a spreading vine. He brought forth fruit for himself. As his fruit increased, he built more altars. And as his land prospered, he adorned his sacred stones. Their heart is deceitful, and now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will demolish their altars and destroy their sacred stones. You see, they were only concerned in their own interests. And so God proclaims judgment upon them. But God, thankfully, doesn't give up on his purposes for the nations to be reached. And so in steps Jesus, who describes himself here as the true vine, because when Israel failed, he doesn't. He fully obeys and completes the task that God has set out for him. And by him, the nations of the world can be reached. He is the blessing to all of the nations promised to Abraham in Genesis 12. Jesus uses the metaphor of the vine and the gardener to help us understand his relationship with God the Father. At the very end of chapter 14, in verse 30, Jesus says, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he has come so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do what exactly what the Father has commanded me. See, this shows us something of the relationship Jesus has with his Father, one of love and adoration, so much so that he's willing to do whatever he commands. This is not a forced love or a forced willingness to obey. This is the overpouring of his love for the Father, so that he will be able to obey him freely. So as he's the true vine, the Father is the gardener, and we, are the, his, as his followers, are the branches of his vine. And the great benefit that we see in this passage is that we can share in a relationship with God himself. The same love the son has with the father, that also he shares with us. He loves us with this never-ending love. And so we, being the branches, find our source of life and fruitfulness in the vine. We can be in relationship with Jesus. And as part of this relationship, God the Father, as this great gardener, it is his job to prune and to cut away the branches. He prunes the branches that are bearing fruit so they will be more fruitful and flourish more abundantly. But he also cuts away those branches that are not bearing fruit. As part of our relationship with Jesus, we should want to live like him, to live a life of godliness. And this is only possible when we go through the process of pruning and cutting away. We need the great gardener to do his work in our lives. God in us will prune the fruit in our lives. He will help it to grow and to bear more good fruit. We also have to go through the painful cutting process. Don Carson is really helpful here when he writes that we do not walk the Christian way very far before painful pruning makes us cry out in self-pity and confusion. But the addition of a little more time helps us see that the heavenly gardener knows what he is about and acknowledge with gratitude the greater fruitfulness that has come into our lives. That quote so adequately paints the picture of how it feels when we are confronted with the unfruitful nature of our lives and when the great gardener has to come and intervene and cut it out of our lives. If a weed is not taken out by its roots, then it will continue to come to the fore year after year. So as we enter into relationship with God, we need to recognize that part of that process of bearing good fruit is the removal of unfruitful branches. And so as we meet tonight, we may even be thinking already of our own hearts and what it is that we need God's help to help us remove within us. What in us, what sinful nature or habit is making us unfruitful? Undoubtedly, the challenge to bear good fruit is a, is a hard one, but it is not a task that we do by ourselves. <coughs> Jesus is speaking here to his disciples, and he needs to remind them that they are already made clean in verse three because of the word spoken to him by him. Spoken to them by him, sorry. They are already part of God's people, already have this relationship, so he is with them. And this is why it is so crucial for us as believers to remain in Jesus. Because as he writes in verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We are helpless, unable to bear any good good of ourselves. And we know this of ourselves tonight. We have to choose between an option that glorifies God or an option that grants The instant desire of our flesh. Our hearts naturally lean for the short term instant desire to be fulfilled. When we look at our lives, we are constantly confronted by how much sin is rooted in it. And so tonight we need to admit that we need Jesus. With His help, we can be fruitful. I wonder if you ever heard the story of Hudson Taylor. He was the founder of China Inland Mission and was responsible in the mid-19th century for leading hundreds of missionaries into China's interior for the first time. And his son, Frederick, wrote these words about him. He said, Here was a man, almost 60 years of age, bearing tremendous burdens, yet absolutely calm and untroubled. Oh, the pile of letters, any one of which might contain news of death, of lack of funds, of riots, or serious trouble. Yet all were opened, read, and answered with the same tranquility. Christ, his reason for peace, his power for calm. Dwelling in Christ, he drew upon his very being and resources, and this he did by an attitude of faith, as simple as it was continuous. Yet he was delightfully free and natural. I can find no words to describe it, See the scriptural expression in God. He was in God all the time, and God in him. It was the true abiding of John fifteen. How was it that Hudson Table, Hudson Taylor, Table, Hudson Taylor was able to withstand the stress, the struggle, and the seriousness of what kind of ministry he was involved in? It's because he abided in the vine. He was able to endure everything that came his way because he was ultimately enduring in Christ. He tasted the glory of knowing that God is always with him and will never forsake him. He knew the benefits that we can have if we trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and are in relationship with him. And so I think the question turns to us tonight. What is it that we cling to when life seems to be caving in around us? What is it that we find comfort in? When we face stress with exams, work, or general life, when we face great sadness over sickness, struggle, or bereavement, when it seems that all hope has vanished, what is it that we turn to? Tonight we are called to turn to Jesus. He is divine. He is the source of our life and being. And as the branches, we are in this relationship with him so he will never leave us, he is always by our side. There's an open invite for us, if we're here tonight and are an unbeliever, to come and to give your life to Jesus, to find real life in him. And the second thing that we see is not only that we benefit, but also that we are privileged when we abide in Christ. And the great privilege of remaining in the vine is that we can communicate with him That's one of the great things about being connected to Jesus. We are free and able to speak to him, knowing that he hears our prayers. Verse 7 is one of those verses that we hear being used widely out of context today. But it says, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Jesus invites us here to ask for whatever we wish. And if that was all he would have said, we'd be licking our lips, thinking about the things that we could ask for. But it's important to note that he starts by saying, if we remain in him, then we can ask for whatever we want and it will be given to us. Because we fully abide in him, then what we ask for will be in line with what he wants. Our will and his will will be in line with one another. And you see, as we think of the question from last night, what do you want life to be like in 40 years' time? If we're honest, the answer to that question deep down for us might well be a nice house, a good job, a loving husband or wife, well-behaved kids, and an Aston Martin sitting in the driveway. This is what we dream about. This looks like the pinnacle of life. I wonder if you ever watched the film, The Bucket List? In it, Jack Nicholson plays a billionaire who meets Morgan Freeman as they both have terminal cancer. And the film depicts how they use uh, Jack Nicholson's money to complete all of the things on their bucket list before they die. Skydiving, safari trips, they travel the world and do the most amazing things before they die. But But when we start to fully abide in Jesus... We see that life is so much more than all of those things. That earthly treasures will fade, but we have a hope that will last forever. Abiding in Jesus means that we will want to live for him, crying out to him for help, support, and guidance, because we want to glorify him, and we struggle to do that by ourselves. But notice how verse 7 and 16 repeats the phrase, that the Father will give us whatever we ask for if we abide in him. We have discussed the dangers of this verse being taken out of context. But then what is it that a fruitful heart should be praying for? I can only give a couple of examples here tonight. This is not a definitive list by any means. But we should be praying at least for the forgiveness of sins, that people will turn to God and have their, open, their blind eyes opened as the gospel is explained to them. We should be praying for our own growth as disciples and followers of Jesus, that godliness will take root in our lives. I find great comfort in knowing that if I remain in Jesus, that I get to communicate with him. I can ask him to help me bear good fruit. I know that the Holy Spirit is at work in us as believers to make us more like Jesus. And I know that he is helping us to make good fruit. The Great Gardener is pruning and cutting, but yet there are sins still in my life that I know that I need to cut out, but I know that I can only do that with God's help. We should be praying for our church, that God will continue to grow us both spiritually and numerically, that God will continue to be glorified in this place and around the world in the life of the church. We should be praying for our brothers and sisters went through persecution or who are involved in Christian ministry. That as God is glorified, that he will break into this broken world, that he will direct our world leaders to make the right decisions. Tonight, there's so much for us to be praying for. As we despair over the world around us, we are not helpless. Instead, we are encouraged by the promises here that when we cry out to God, that he hears our prayers. We are privileged that we get to communicate with Him if we remain in Jesus. And thirdly and finally, we see that when we abide in Jesus, we have a responsibility. He reminds us again that He loved us like the Father loved Him. This great love that we cannot explain or wrap our heads around. We were saying in earlier in the service, You're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness, I will keep on singing 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. This is our God. He loves us and wants, and so we want to worship him with our lives. Jesus tells us in verse 10 if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. If we truly love him, we will keep his commands. And what is it that he commands us? He commands us to love one another as he has loved us. Because biblical love is more than more about doing than feeling. To love others means to sacrifice and to do the hard things for them and for their benefit, not our own. See, we live in a world that constantly thinks of love as just about doing nice things and accepting everything that it says and does. Jesus was the most loving man that ever lived. He loved people more deeply and fully than anyone else could. But that didn't stop him telling people the hard things. In love, he confronted sin. In love, he faithfully taught the scriptures. In love, he laid down his very life. And so we are called to be people of love, Nigel reminded us this morning that our purpose is to bear good fruit, which are laid out for us by Paul in Galatians when he writes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And naturally, we know of ourselves that we aren't these things, And that's why we need God, to help us cultivate these things in our lives. We are to love. We are to love our neighbor, and we are to love God. Those are the commands given to us by Jesus himself. And when we lovingly obey the commands of Jesus, it brings both him joy and us joy. Despite what the world around us might say, following him is undoubtedly the best way. It brings a great joy that will last for all of eternity. We have a responsibility to love like Jesus, to show him to the people that we rub shoulders with every day. That is our great challenge in a hostile world, to love even when you know you won't be loved in return. And Jesus goes on to say, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. See, Jesus models love for us in the most perfect way. He loved us so much that he died for us. He took our place and he bore the cross so that we could abide in him again. He he heals the broken relationship between us and God. And that is our great hope tonight as we head into another week of stress and strain. Tonight, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then you need to place your trust in him and accept what it is that he has done for you on the cross. We need to thank God that we've been made clean by Jesus' death on the cross and not by our work. We need to pray that God will help us to remain in Jesus. We need to pray that God will bear good fruit that will last in our lives. So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word to us tonight. God, we thank you that Jesus is divine and that we are the branches. But Father, we know that we are sinful and cannot live as we ought to. So, Father, we cry out, please help us to abide in Jesus. Father, help us to bear good fruit. Help us to love others well this week. Thank you for the great love that you have shown us in Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.